All right. Man, if I brought that trophy home and my wife saw it, she'd wonder, what the heck were you at? (laughs) And how'd you win it? (laughs) All right. Um, any, does anyone have any questions? I mean, you, I'm sure you have a thousand questions, but any questions? Anyone got anything they just want to ask right now? Good. Um, <laughs> anyone's not brave enough. All right, here, I, I'm going to, here's a couple I got asked then. Um, this is great, and for the guys that came up to me and talked to me about this, thank you. You didn't know I was going to share this, but I'm doing it anyway. No, when, when you're talking about false identity, well, let me say this first. The things I'm talking about, uh, I'll say this, the things I'm talking about, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. Okay, th- this is important. So this, this very thing that I'm doing with you, we do all over the world. We've done this, I've done this among Muslims in Northwest China. It doesn't, this is not about being a Christian. Jesus didn't come to make people Christians. That's not what he was doing. He wasn't going around trying to get people to switch in from one religious system to another. He came in order that people might be transformed to, into who they truly are. Or if you, if you think of Jesus Jesus is an Eastern teacher. He, he's not going around teaching Western Bible studies. That's what we've made him into because we're Western Greek thinkers. He's an Eastern, actually mystical teacher. That's how he was heard in the first century. And so when he's talking about, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, the people are, they understand what he means. They're not thinking, well, let's see, logically, what is, how's he doing, how's he saying that? It's not like, it's not like that. He's talking about this place in your mind, this place in your spirit where you can live that transcends this world. Now, if you know anything about quantum physics or mechanics, the more that, the more that they investigate these kinds of things, the more you go back and read the Bible, it makes perfect sense what he's doing. When Jesus walks through a door after the resurrection, when his physical form is able to go through uh, what we would consider a solid object, a quantum physicist would say, well, yeah, of course, why, that's, that's possible. A hundred years ago, they would have said, wow, that was supernatural and miraculous in the sense of like it's magic. But it's not. He's doing things that can be done in the world that you don't know about. There's ways to think about things and understand yourself and the universe and other people that you don't know about. And he's, Jesus is walking around showing people how to know how to know things. I mean, he's not teaching people how to do things. Otherwise, we would just imitate him all the time, which we can't do. He's not walking around giving marriage counseling. He's not walking around teaching people how to raise kids. He's not even really teaching how to pray because his disciples say, are you ever going to teach us how to pray like John's guys are learning how to pray? And the only reason they want to learn how to pray is because they're competitive with John's guys. They don't care about prayer. It's like, how come come they're learning how to pray and we aren't learning how to pray? Like, that's what they're doing because they're, they're operating out of a false identity. And so he teaches them, all right, when you pray, you need to be knowing how, about prayer in a different way than what you're thinking because you're Jews, and Jews just pray repetitive prayer. So when you pray, there's a way to know about prayer that thinks like this. 
God is actually Father to you. He's in heaven, and he is above all. You have to come to him as if he's Father. That's how Jesus is teaching. Here's how we get it, our Father who art in heaven. That's all we got out of it, a memorized prayer. That's what we do. The lowest way we can think about something, that's how we think about it, and we just repeat it over and over again. Thank God he only taught us one prayer, because we say that one all the time. What if he had six? We'd brother, we'd be. So everything he teaches us, he knows we're just gonna turn that into a formula and make it into a ritual. That's what you do. That's not what he's, he's saying. When you pray, and, and this is one of the questions I got, Jesus says, when you pray, the Father knows what you need before you ask him. How does that tell you how to pray? How does that inform you how to pray? What should you be asking God? What do I need? There's your prayer life. If the Father knows what you need before you ask him, why don't you ask him what you need? Because if you ask him what you need and he tells you what you need when you pray for that, it will always be answered. Without fail, that will always be answered. We think if we just ask enough, it'll get answered, but it doesn't really, and it makes our prayer life kind of disappointing. Like I have heard people talk on prayer, yeah, it doesn't really work. But we're praying, we're not praying like Jesus taught. Ask the Father, God, what do I need today? What do I need? Because what you need is not what you think. There's a different way to know what you need. That's what Jesus is modeling. How does Jesus know where to go? How does he know what to say? How does he know who to choose? Because he knows how to know. And that's what we're exploring. You cannot know God in any deep way from a false identity. You can't. So the strategy of Satan, whether you believe in Satan or not, the strategy is that you live your life making guesses about who you are, who that is, who he is, and you just guess your way through the whole thing and do the best you can. That's one way to live. Most people do it that way. It's not that great. Or there's an alternative way of knowing where I can actually know at a much higher level the things about this world and beyond, and I can actually make decisions currently knowing more than I can actually see right at this moment. That's what Jesus is teaching. And the disciples are running around focused on a zero model of everything. Well, we don't have any food. Yeah, but I'm, no, no, there's more than food. Yeah, but we don't have any food. No, there's, there's things that can nourish you that don't, you, they're not a sandwich. Yeah, we don't have a sandwich, though. If we had a sandwich, we wouldn't be asking you about sandwiches. And they're doing it after they watched him feed the 5,000. They watched him, and he didn't feed them. Who fed the 5,000? They did. They're the ones with the basket going, hey, there's more in here. Hey, hey, it's like if I, wow, this thing never ends. And then what's the next thing they ask him? We didn't bring our lunch. We're in trouble. We didn't. Every, they keep going back to zero on everything instead of taking what they know forward to a higher level of knowing. Wait. Wait a second. If you got us to feed 5,000 people, what does that mean about the future? That's what, he's, that's what he wants. Yeah, that's right. What does it mean about the future? We'll, we'll never be hungry, right? That's right. We would never have to think about food again, right? Wow, let's take a break and get something to eat and think about that. 
That's what he's doing. He's like, he moves them up in a way of knowing, and then he's like, now don't go backwards, stay there. Here we go further. Here we go further like this. So, for example, so how does that work? Do I have to be a Christian to do this? In the sense of I have to say some magic prayer to make me in the right place in order for this to work? The answer, be careful, hold on, no. But I have to be in the kingdom of God for it to work. I do have to be in the kingdom of God. How do you get into the kingdom of God? How do I walk inside the kingdom of God? Through, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because my mind is broken. And unless my mind gets well, I can't know the things that God has for me to know. And stepping into the kingdom is receiving from God my identity of who I am. God, I receive all that you have for me. There's the prayer. God, I receive everything that you have for me. I want it. I receive it. Thank you. There you go. You're in. There you go. Am I a Christian? I can call yourself whatever you want. When Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman, he's not trying to make her a Jew. That's what she asks him. Well, if I, be, if I believe what you say about who I really am, which is what he's talking about to her in this story, she thinks her identity, as far as she's concerned, is I'm a prostitute or I'm a woman of ill repute. I have no friends. I'm not allowed to come to the well when any other women are here because I'm so filled with shame. I can't come out here then. I have to come by myself. Men in my village objectify me and use me, and that'll never change, and that's the way it's going to be, and I'm mad at God, and I'm mad at Samaria, and I'm mad at Samaritans, and I hate other women, and I definitely hate men, and I absolutely hate Jews who think they're better than we are. I hate them all, and that's my lot in life. And Jesus comes to her and says, and false. Which part is false? All of it is false. Everything you just said about the world is false. Is he, is he evangelizing her? No. He's announcing to her good news. He's proclaiming to her good news. What's the good news? Truth. Truth. Not Christianity, not a religion. Truth. Here's the truth. This is what Jesus says to her. After he gets her mad, he has to get her mad first so she'll tell the truth. Because he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. If you don't know the Bible, they hate each other, those groups. But he's got to get her to say that she does. He's got to get her to confess. That's why we start with confession. Tell the truth. Here's the truth. I don't believe in God. Good. We're on our way. Here's a lie. I believe in God. And I really don't. Yeah, I believe in God. No, you don't. No, you don't. Why do you say you do? You don't. Say you don't, and we can start from there. Stop lying. Tell the truth. That's confession. So he says to this woman, he says to this woman, John chapter 4, he says to her, he goes and he sits by the well in her territory, in her part of the, in, uh, uh, of the geography in Samaria where Jews don't go because they don't like each other. And he sits there, and she, she's at the well. She comes to the well, and this is what he says to her. Uh, get me something to drink. He does, he's not nice. Like when you read it, like we try and make it nice. He's not nice. He just says, get me something to drink. Woman, get me something to drink. It would be like me flying to Dearborn, Michigan into a Muslim neighborhood, going into a Muslim market, finding a married Muslim woman going, hey, hey, go over there and get me something to drink when you don't have anything to do. That's what, that's what Jesus is doing to Samaritan woman. That's what he's doing to her. We try and make the gospel into some sweet, I don't know what, people with British accents all nice to each other. It's not. He's, he's 
triggering her to make her tell the truth. Jesus wants the truth because if you'll speak the truth, you can be free. I don't believe in any of this stuff. Good. All right, here we go. So she says to him, because she's mad, she goes, wait a second. How is it that, listen to her, name the teams. How is it that you, a Jew, see, that's what you do when you're telling the truth. You're not my team. You're not on my team. I'm not on your team. What are you, a Christian? I'm not a Christian. Those are the teams. That's the knowledge of good and evil. That's where Satan lives, and that's where he kills us in team names. Who did you vote for? What team are you on? Ah, like this. And so she says, how is it that you, a Jew, a Jew, say to me, a Samaritan, there's the religious political team, say to me, a Samaritan and a woman, ah, there's the genders, there they are. How dare you say to me to get you something to drink? How is it? How is this happening? Now, if that was a Samaritan man that said that to her, she would have kept her mouth shut and done it. But because a Jew said it to her, oh, she's going to let him have it. Boy, and, she, and Jesus is like, oh, we're going to tell the truth now, are we? You don't like Jews. You don't like men. And you're sorry you're a woman. And you feel bad that you're, you're this kind of woman. And oh, now we're going to tell the truth. And it'll never change, will it? That's what you believe. It'll never change, will it? No, it'll never change. And that's why I'm mad. And that's why I'm bitter. And then Jesus says, hmm, Good. Good. Now, let me, that's confession. She confessed. He goes, now let me lead you in repentance. Ready? Here we go. I have some really good news for you. Because if you knew who I was, see, you don't know who I am. You think you know who I am. You think I'm a Jew and a man. Oh, I'm way more than that. If you knew who I was and the gift that I am that God has sent you, wait, God is sending her a gift? Yes. Wow, she never thought that before. God's a gift sender? Look at my life. I don't see any gifts. Ah, because you're not paying attention, are you? You're just complaining. You're just believing the lie. You're not aware of anything that's really happening, are you? But you will be if you tell the truth. And when you tell the truth and when you become aware, then God can start to say things to you that will stun you. If you knew the gift I was that God had sent to you, Here's the most biggest stunner of all. You would ask me to serve you. You would ask me, the Messiah, to serve you, and I will. Can you believe that? Do you, this, if we closed our eyes right now and pictured Jesus walking among us, he would be walking up to every one of you in this room and putting his hand on your shoulder and go, why aren't you asking me to serve you? That's what he would be asking you. And what, you know, we would say, I am unworthy. I am unworthy. Just like Peter, like Jesus wants to wash his feet. Oh, 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 no, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus doesn't go, oh, Peter, you're so humble. That is so humble. Here's what Jesus says. Well, you're off my team then. Then you don't have anything to do with me. If I don't serve you, you're out. And then Peter's like, wash my whole body. You know, the dramatic, you know, wash my whole body then. But if Jesus walks around here, and this is what he's saying to each one of you in this room, let me serve you. Let me serve you. And we're looking right in his face and going, no, I'm not worthy. I'm shameful. That's what we're saying. And you are wrong. You are making a big mistake saying this to him. He says to this woman, if you drink from me, if you drink what I'm going to give you, you will never thirst again, ever, never. 
but you have to let me serve you. Decide. Decide. And she's like, where is this water? And this beautiful interplay that he does with her, actually quoting Samaritan literature to her. In one day, in one afternoon, she goes from being the lowest level woman in that town to the leader of the entire community in one afternoon. She is so revered, that woman, that woman who on Tuesday thought she was nothing, and on Tuesday night, every man in that town said, thank God that this woman not only told us about Jesus, but that she forgave us for the way we treated her. In one day, today, her image is painted on Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans go to worship her. She is immortal. She is immortal and forever happy in Samaria today. Why? Because she let the king serve her, her true identity. That's what he wants to do with you. But he cannot do it until you say to him, this is the false identity that I am clinging to. And he's like, let me have it. Let me have it. That's what we're doing. When, when he transforms her, what is she called? Is she a Jew? She asks him that question. Well, where do I pray then? Over in Jerusalem or on Gerizim? He's like, that, that's not the point. The time is coming and the time has come when God seeks those who worship him here in spirit and, what's the other word? Truth, 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 truth. I can come to a church and lie the whole time. What difference does it make that I'm in a church versus a mosque or somewhere else? Here, truth. If you worship in spirit and in truth, nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible for you. In your identity, in your vocation, in truth with him, nothing is impossible. When does she begin her career as a leader? The same day that she gets her true identity. The same day. Ask God what you need. And then when he tells you what you need, ask him for that thing. What do I need? What we need right now is our true identity more than anything else. That's what we need right now is our true identity. And so what I want to pray about right now is that true identity. When David is with his men, we'll go back into the Old Testament again. So that's for, that's for the question of do I have to be a certain something to do this with God? No, yeah, you have to be human and you have to tell the truth. There you go. Those are the conditions. He doesn't pick teams. He died for the whole world. The question is, are you going to step into him being the one that gives to you? Or are you going to try and get it from the world? If you're going to get it from the world, you die. You die. If you get it from him, you never die. You never die. Those are the two options. Those are the two choices. So when we go back talking about David... David, so David's men want to kill him. They're frustrated with him. Nobody's asking anyone, what team are you on? Are you a Christian or not? They're not asking any of those questions. Here's their reality. We're in this terrible situation. We're acting like thieves. We used to be really mighty men. Now we're acting like thieves. We're liars. We're cheaters. We're not living in our true identity. What are we going to do about it? Their decision is let's kill our leader. That's usually what people do when they don't like a leader. They assassinate him in some way or another. That's just what you do. As fast as you don't like him, you turn on him. This is the false world. Yeah, we, we liked him for a little while. Now we hate him. Kill him. Get rid of him. Like that. 
But in the real world, in the true world, there can be a switch like this. And so in, that, in the passage in 29, 1 Samuel 29, 28 and 29, where David is down, it says he wept, he cried until he couldn't stand up anymore. Do you know what that weeping is doing? He's confessing. He's like, what have I done? What am I doing? What am I doing? I've, I've lost everything for myself and my men because I became afraid. I started asking myself, what's the right thing to do? And I've led him into this. And it says he weeps until he couldn't stand. And then it says he does this. And then it says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. He looked back up. David is very big on where your eyes are in his poetry. Look up unto the hills. Look where your help comes from. It's up there. What are you, why are you looking down here? Why are you looking at the ground? Why are you looking at other people? Look up. Up where Christ is seated above all, up there. He's not under anybody. He's above all of your enemies. He's up there. Look up there. A depressed person is looking down and in. But a person filled with hope is looking up and out. Where are we looking today? In any problem that you have today, the solution is up and out. No Hebrew thinker would ever think that they were the solution to their own problem. None of them would ever imagine that. It was an unimaginable thought. The solution to what's going on here is somewhere out here. Just like every inventor, painter, everyone, the invention is out here. The discovery is out here. It's never in here. What's in here? Identity. Identity. Out here, discovery and invention. Creation. Go do it. In here, identity. It says David encouraged himself in the Lord, and as soon as he encourages himself in the Lord, events start to change. The change here, change out here. Change here, here's a statement for some of you scientists out there. Let me see if I can remember it. Ontology recapitulates phylogeny. There you go. Thanks for coming. Ontology recapitulates phylogeny. What it means is what happens here happens out here. What happens in the small happens in the large. That's true. The, the things going on in here is what affects out here. They're never, don't try and change things out here without changing here. It doesn't work. It won't work. So inside, that's a biology statement. Inside here changes, everything out here changes. God cannot lead you into stuff that you won't receive. Do you understand that? God will never give you power to do something that you won't do. Right? I can pray all day long, God, give me the courage to die for you, but I ain't going anywhere. It would have to happen in my bedroom, the death scene. But help me to be courageous. Like, why would he do that? It doesn't even make any, the prayer itself is a lie. God, help me to trust you with money, but you ain't getting any of it. <laughs> like, these are just, wow, why did you waste air saying that kind of statement? So God is not going to empower you to do something you won't do, but what you will do, he will empower you to do. What he made you to do, he will always empower you to do it. So if you're walking in a false identity and you say, I don't feel like God's with me, he's not. He's standing there, he's with you, he loves you, but he doesn't want to go this way with you. He's like, ah, I'm going this way. Like, we're, I made you to go this way, not this way. And I'm not going into that room to do that with you. 
I did not make you to do that. I made you to do this. Come with me this way. It's unbelievable. I can tell you where this room ends. It ends right there. That's the end. Everything ends in that room, I promise you. But out here, unlimited, you won't believe it. Come with me, come with me, come with me. I'm afraid, come with me, I know. I don't feel worthy, I know, I'll make you worthy. Come with me, come with me. That's what he's saying to us. You only have two answers, yes or no. That's how simple it is, yes or no. No, continue on, good luck, have fun, enjoy. Yes, you have no idea, you have no idea. I'm telling you. I just, we, I just started working with some guys. I wish I could tell you who they are, but some, we'll just call them law enforcement people that are, that are on the federal level. And, um, and this, is the, this, is a, this is a small group of guys that do, men and women that do this. We taught them how to do this, and they're doing this vocationally in their profession. Their question is to God, is there a new way to run a criminal task force that's never been done before? That's what they meet about. Isn't that brilliant? And you should see the ideas that have come to their mind. They're taking their identity in their profession, laying it before God and saying, we are afraid that we will never be able to end human trafficking, ever. But we think you can end it, but we don't know how. Is there a way to run a task force that we don't know about that can end human trafficking? Do you know what God's answer to that question is? Would he ever go, not that I know of. <laughs> because, well, then be an atheist. Good luck. That'd be, I would. It's more fun. It's less costly. Just do whatever you want. But his answer is, yes, there's a way to do it. There's a way to know how to do it. And who's he going to tell it to? People he's called to be in that work. Doesn't that make sense? So I can pray all day long, God, give me the answer to human trafficking. Do you do work in human trafficking? No. Well, why would I tell you? Like, here's the people I raised up to do this. They were raised. The experiences in their life have contributed to them hating human trafficking at every level. They're my people. They've been hurt by it. They've been affected by it. They hate it. I've rescued them. They're in their true identity. They're ready to do anything to get rid of it. I will tell them what to do. And so... They're in positions to do it. And so they meet together and they're putting together a strategy of eliminating human trafficking in one city. They're just gonna start with one city and go from there. I'm telling you, you wanna be in a good Bible study, be in that one. Do you wanna hear some people pray their guts out before God and what their daily life is like, be in that one. It's not talk, it's not bleh. They know what they're doing with the Lord and they're asking him to lead them and he is. That, see, do you understand that? So when you're in a group and in your identity and you're praying in your identity, you'll see God move like you've never seen him move before. But I could stand here all day long and tell you how we do this all over the place. This is the most exciting thing I've ever learned in all the years we've been working in the Middle East is this kind of thing. If there's, if there's ways to do stuff we've never thought of. Everyone knows this. Every medical professional knows there's cures for diseases we don't know yet. There's things out in the universe we don't know yet. We got to go figure them out. We got to go find them out. Why is our relationship with the Lord the only thing that we think we've got figured out? It's the last thing we would have figured out. It's the most mysterious. So we need to pursue it like that. So when David, when David is praying, 
He says, and he encouraged himself back up into the Lord, and then the events start to change. And a messenger, there's a guy from the enemy that they come in contact with, and they want to know, should we pursue? Like, they took your wives. Wouldn't you just automatically pursue? David's like, nope, not making that mistake again. And it says, David inquired of the Lord, shall we pursue? Here's the two different statements. And David thought to himself, down the drain. And David inquired of the Lord, up and out we go. Those two sentences. Change your life. When you're in a situation, what do you do? I'm not saying, Lord God, do blah. I'm saying this, God, what do you want me to know? And what do you want me to do? That's inquiring. Not telling God what to do. It's asking him, what do you want me to know? And what do you want me to do? Because we're afraid. And we don't see this thing turning out well. What do you want us to know? And what do you want us to do? And what he will tell you about knowing, you won't know. And what he'll tell you about doing, you won't have thought of doing. That's why we pray. What do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? And so here's three questions that David always asks God when he's successful. Here's your three life questions in every situation. Number one that David asks, should I do this? That's his question. Should I do this? Should we go? Anywhere when you're reading the life of David and he's successful, these are his three questions to God. Should I do this? I can't remember if I told you guys this the last time I was here, but our guys get tortured. They, that's part of what happens to them. The guy I was telling you about with the Taliban, his three leaders came and met with us, three Taliban leaders. Some of the most impressive guys I've ever met in my life were those guys. Every day their life is on the line. And after the meeting, two of them were killed in that week. Their life is on the line. Their question to God every time they think they need to do something is, God, should we go? Should we do this thing? Don't just do stuff. God, do you want me to talk to this person or not? Don't just assume, yeah, God wants me to talk to every single person I meet. Nope. Wrong. Jesus doesn't do that. Do you want me to talk to this person? Should I go? That's question number one. Should I do this? Question number two. I love this question. Will I win? Is it okay to ask God if you're going to win? What do you think? Ooh, we're shy on that one. I don't know if winning's important. I don't know. What race are you in? I want to win. I mean, I want to win this thing. I'm not saying winning means I, like, achieve a certain thing. I just want to win. Do you think Jesus came to earth? Like, I'm not sure if I want to win. That might be prideful. He came to win. Peter didn't want Jesus to win. That's why he said, don't go to the cross. That's how messed up Peter was. Jesus, I know you're not thinking about this. This is Peter talking to Jesus. I think the cross is a bad idea because I'm against persecution. God never intended for people to be persecuted, and I'm going to commit my life to standing against Christian persecution, so Jesus, don't go to the cross. Does Jesus go, wow, I love your heart, Peter. I love your compassion for suffering people. Is that what Jesus says to him? Nope. What does Jesus say to him? You're not speaking the words of the Father. Who are you speaking the words of? Satan. Yes. Peter, once again, you do not know what you're talking about. (laughs) 
once again. And the one who's telling you what to say is not God, it's Satan. I don't think we know how often we say things that are right out of the mouth of Satan. Because we're just like, oh, that sounds nice to say. I'm against persecution. Satan, like who would say that back to you? Jesus would. Peter, if I don't die, you die. If I don't die, you go to hell. Peter's like, I'm for you dying now. You know how he is. Like, I am for it now. <laughs> a guy asked me here, I was, it was a great question. He came up to me and asked me a question. And while we were talking about next steps, he said this statement. Nothing wrong with what he said, but it's just a good example. He said, I'm a loner. Okay, and just talking, I'm a loner. I stopped him. What is that statement? I'm a loner. What is that statement? What kind of statement is that? Identity statement. So I asked him this question. Did Jesus come to you and say you are a loner? Did Jesus make any loners? No, he didn't. That statement is wrong. But we would let that statement go in any Christian meeting and Satan's like, ha, 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 my truth is going out through your group and you don't even know it. And you're just like, yeah, we agree. And being a loner kills people. It destroys their lives. It's the worst thing you could think of yourself as. But we're like, oh, you're a loner? That's awesome. It's terrible. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you see how clever the enemy is? He's got truth statements in here that are false. And we just welcome them. Like, yeah, that's good. That's smart. It's not true. God doesn't make loners. He makes communities. That's what he does. Communities are strong and powerful and they're built on love. Loners die lonely, dark places like that. So when David inquired, his question is, should I go, will I win? Here's my question to the Lord. When we do this, will it work? I want to know, will it work? I just ask him, is this going to work? I ask him that because I want him to look at me and go, yes. Like it's good, like dad, if I jump in the pool, am I going to drown? I mean, like, you're telling me to do this. Is it going to work? Will I, like, make it? And my dad, you know, my dad was like, I don't know. But most dads would be, yes, come on, it'll work. Yeah, you're going to do it. It's fine. You're going to win. We're going to do it. We're going to make it. That's how God talks. So when David asks, will I win? He's just asking for encouragement from God. <laughs> Is this going to work? Yes, it will work. Should I, go, should I go, will it work? And third, beautiful question, how should I do it? How should I go? How? How? When you're asking these two questions, your life is always generative and creative with God. Because every time David asks, how should I go, God tells him a different way. I have a friend, he's in our group, in our community group, and um, he decided that, that he wanted to start a winery. Just, do you think Jesus likes wineries? Yep. He kind of really likes them, uses them a lot. So anyway, he wants to do this business. And so here's his question to God. Is there a way to do wineries that's never been done before? That's his question. Because there's a very set, if any of you own wineries, there's a very set way to do it. It's a very set pattern. It's guarded by the hierarchy of winery people. And you do not violate it. You conform to this pattern. And so he's praying about it. Is there a different way to do it? And he puts a little group together and they start praying about it and they come up with a completely disruptive way to do wineries. 
and they go to do it. And he has three of the most successful wineries on the West Coast. He broke the model on how to do wineries, just like that. Like this, God is like this. God, if you're calling me to do it, how should I do it? Just the same old way as everybody else did it. No. Like what's a new way to think about it and do it? Disruptive economics is brilliant. Like these kinds of things. Should I go? Will I win? How should I go? Okay. So let's pray together now. And when we pray together, we're going to ask about identity. Okay, so when you sweep the house clean of false identity. Okay, Jesus says, don't leave the house empty because if you leave it empty, the enemy will return. That makes, that's perfect sense. If I, if I'm, if in my own knowledge, I'm trying to affirm myself, I prayed with a guy who's, who was the CEO of one of the wealthiest companies in the United States. I prayed with him, he's 88 years old. I prayed with him in September. I taught him a hearing from God. He's a believer, he's a follower of Jesus. And he, he, before we prayed, he goes, I just want you to know my company is our experts in self-affirmation. He goes, that's how we've made it as far as we have, why we so, make so much money. He goes, we're experts in this. I'm like, this is what I'm way past, I'm not talking about self-affirmation. Self-affirmation is sweeping your own house clean and trying to keep the enemy out. You might make a lot of money. And I asked the guy, how's your life going with self-affirmation? He goes, I'm rich. And I said, yeah, and what else? Am I, I lost my family, right? There you go, their self-affirmation. So let's try something else. Let's try sweeping the house clean and letting Jesus step inside of it. So I did that with him. It so transformed his life that he takes me with him to board meetings. This is what he does. He takes me into board meetings and he goes, uh, this is my friend Jamie. Jamie, tell him what you do. And before I can start, he goes, never mind, just do it. And this is what we, I do this in board meetings with this guy. He goes, and he'll say, this is the greatest thing that's happened to me in my life since I met Jesus at age 19. He's 88. He's, he wants every single employee that he has to know how to hear God's voice and live in their true identity. That's, he's committed to it now. These are the kinds of people that you will influence. You meet these people all the time. But we don't have anything to give away because we're empty here. So we sweep the house clean. We're going to fill the house now with God's identity for us, okay? So we're just going to pray. I'm just going to pray through it. I'm going to ask the Lord to say what he calls you or how he refers to you or how he sees you, whatever it is. And I want you to immediately write down what you hear or see or think. I'm begging you, don't say no to God on this. Just, say, just receive what he says, Okay? Um, the way you'll know it's him is because it'll be encouraging, it'll, be, it'll, it'll fit within scripture, and it won't involve accusation or condemnation. It'll be encouraging to you, okay? And it should make sense to you. All right, here we go. Father, thank you that you're always with us. You never leave us, you never forsake us. You're always with us. Whether we, whether we want you here or not, you're here. This is your omnipresent. You're here, and you love us, and you never give up on us, and you never just walk away out of frustration with us. You're always with us, and you don't ever want us to be afraid. 
And you want us to be filled with love and joy and peace and patience and these, these things of the Spirit. So Lord, thank you that you're with us. Lord, I know that you're moving among us. You're making us think through things we wouldn't normally think about. But Lord, now we've, we've kind of been down in the trash pile. Lord, now we want to lift our eyes up to you now. We've looked at the false. We've looked at things that we don't want to say. We want to speak truth. And Lord, as, we, as you clear us out, as we give to you these false identities, give them to Christ. As Christ bears those false identities in his own flesh, it says that he exchanges false identity for true identity, that when we give him our shame, he gives us back honor, that when we give him our guilt, he gives us back innocence, that when we give him, give him our fear, he gives us back power and authority. It's an exchange at the cross. That's why the cross is so beautiful to us. We can give our burdens there and you hand back to us life. And so, Father, now as we have given you those false identities, just in your protection and your silencing of the enemy and all the false things in our lives, just in your beautiful voice, Lord. Lord, would you speak back to me the name or the identity that you call me? Just, just what do you say about me? What do you call me? Just write it down, quick. Try and, if you can figure it out later. Lord, just what do you say to me? What do you call to me? And if you don't hear anything, that's fine. We'll come to it. But just the very first thing, even if it doesn't make any sense to you, Lord, what do you call me? How do you refer to me, Lord Jesus? This is the way Jesus serves us. He calls us by name. The sheep hear his voice because he calls us by name. How does he refer to you? Just do your spirit, Lord, just in truth. What do you say? Even if it's hard to believe, just write, just write it down. Whenever the Lord says something to you, this is your answer back to him. Yes, I receive it. I receive it. Okay, now, I want you, okay, table leaders, start on this and just go around your table and say what you heard, okay? Just take a couple minutes, go around your table and say what you heard. Okay. Okay, I was going to tell you to do something, but we kind of ran out of time, but we'll just give it a shot. Okay, a couple of really good questions. Um, I've been waiting for someone to ask me this question. What happens if you don't hear anything, okay? This is a great question because it happens. That's normal in a conversation. Before I get to that one, here's another one, okay? Um, this, this happened at a table, so it's a good example. So the enemy... Satan has a strategy. His number one strategy is that you never even inquire about your identity ever. That you just live your life, don't believe in God, don't believe in any of that stuff, and you just kind of go on. That's number one strategy. If you happen to step into the kingdom through embracing what 
Christ has done for you. You step into the kingdom and you start to wonder about why am I here? What am I doing? And you start to ask identity questions and you discover your identity or you're in a place like this and we're really just going after it. His only, because he can never take your identity away from you. It's given to you by God. He can never take it away. Number one strategy, you never even wonder about it. Number two strategy is you figure it out and he works to make you hate your identity. That's what he does. He works to make you dislike your identity in the kingdom. That we, our, our very best people that we've discovered around the world are, are people that originally hated who they are in here. That's how much the enemy works to make you resist knowing your identity. So here's an example the guy here has, okay? So he's praying, gets rid of false identity. God, what do you call me? God, call, God says, you're my fixer, fixer, like repair things, fixer, beautiful. God will only call you a name he would call himself. That's one way you know it's him. He'll, he'll, he names us after himself, like a good father does. And so that's one way you know it's him. Um, he rarely calls someone loser or anything like that. Rarely, never, he doesn't. He'll only call you something he would call himself. He'll call you something that moves you forward in freedom. And it's something that's exciting to your brings joy. It's almost like too much. Fixer. Okay. So there's God speaking. Just as quickly as God speaks comes the other voice. Because the other voice you've been listening to your whole life and you're an expert at hearing the enemy and yourself above God all the time. To hear God is learning a new skill. It's like learning how to hear Morse code or something. Like you have to practice. You have to like, what is that sound? What is that? And, you, and, and you, where you hear him above all others. But right now it's new. And like you hear his voice, it's faint, it's quick. And then here comes the other one. Bam. So he hears fixer, beautiful. Then the thought comes to his mind. I, the idea that fixer means you're going to be repairing cars the rest of your life. Okay, and that makes him reject the identity of fixer. Isn't that brilliant? That is hats off to Satan. He is brilliant, man. He is brilliant. Just as quickly as God says fixer, Satan defines what fixer is and he rejects it. Right? Do you see that? Two, two voices, how quick they are? Now, how do you know the difference between the two voices? Okay, one's positive and one's negative. Fixer in his mind's kind of neutral. He's like, what does that mean? Then comes the negative. Ugh. Okay, so here's how you know. Negative emotion. Let me tell you something about emotions. Emotions come from God. Let me say that again. Emotions come from God. Satan can't create emotion. He's not a creator. He can't create anything. He just imitates. Emotions were given to us by God. Emotions are a warning system in our limbic system. They're a warning system that something is wrong, obviously. Just like physical pain tells us something's wrong, emotional pain is telling us something is wrong. Negative emotions tell you that what you believe is false. That's what negative emotions do. You don't have to be a Christian to know this stuff. Negative emotions is you, is, is te are telling you that what you believe about here to be true is actually false and it's warning. 
Okay, so if I think, if I believe this, okay, so, so I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take a new job over here and I use my imagination like most of us use our imagination to imagine the worst case scenario. That's what we usually do. I'm gonna imagine the worst case scenario. Okay, I'm gonna go into the job. It's gonna be a disaster. I'm gonna get fired. I risk leaving this job. I'm, I'm gonna be homeless. My wife's gonna divorce me because she didn't want me to take the risk. There's the scenario we play out in our minds. Brilliant, it's a good healthy thing to do. And it's gonna be a disaster. And my system, warning system, goes into effect. Fear, 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 fear. Because the scenario I'm playing out in my mind is false. And my spirit is telling me, you're thinking falsely, warning, this is gonna hurt us. Not the situation, the situation isn't even real. The thinking this way is gonna kill us. That's what your emotions are telling you. So what do we try and do? We try and bury those emotions and say, I'm a Christian. I don't go by emotion. I go by facts. You liar. <laughs> Faith is not a feeling. It, it is a feeling. Mine is. Everything deals with emotion. But emotions aren't the decision maker. Emotions are the warning system. When my mind is fixed on things that are true, my emotions are love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Even if the things I'm thinking about are harmful to me, I'm still at rest. One of our guys was being tortured last year and um, and the second time they took him in to torture him, they, were, they had wrapped him in plastic and they were dehydrating him during the day and then hanging him up at night and cutting him with razor blades, telling him to renounce Jesus. And in the, while they were cutting him, he, he, every time they cut him, he could hear Jesus whispering in his ear, I'm inside the pain. Every time they cut you, more of me comes out. And do you know what his emotions were in that situation? Joy. Joy. Like we read those stories in the Bible, we're like, yeah, that's not true. I love those stories that aren't true. Oh yeah, they're singing in dungeons. Yeah, right. That's what we, joy was coming out of him because what his mind was fixed on was true. Like, you don't have to be a Christian to understand this stuff. Your mind is so powerful. If you lay in bed at night and think about exercising, your mind will make your body prepare to exercise. That's, what, that's the power. Your mind will believe the real and the unreal just as quickly depending on what you want to focus on. So the, your mind can't tell, the, the, your imagination can't tell the difference between real and unreal. It's like, this is what you believe to be true. This is what I'm going to respond to. So if you fix your imagination on the things of God, you're pretty much joyful no matter what's going on. This guy, they caught him so many times, they realized this guy is enjoying this. And they said, we've either got to kill him or let him go. The problem is it seems like he wants us to kill him. Do you know he did? Because when he would hear Jesus say, I'm inside your pain, he kept out loud asking Jesus, what do I have to do to get you to move in front of me like this so I can see your face? And Jesus said, you'd have to come with me. What do you think the guy said he wanted to do? I want to go. This is what he was saying. To live is Christ. To die is gain. That's what he was saying. We don't believe this stuff. What if you believe that? 
what, you would be invincible and eternally happy. And so they're like, if we kill him, like it's gonna be the greatest joy of his life, let him go. And he's like, no. That's what he said. So they released him. He comes back to us. He's a Muslim guy that's come to Christ. He's, he was 25 years old at that time. He'd been a believer for one year when they were torturing him like that. You show me a 25-year-old American Christian that can do that. And people say, is he a real believer? Oh, my gosh. So he's, he was frustrated. He's like, I was so close. I was almost right there. And then they stopped. And we're like, God, we don't want to be that close. <laughs> we're happy right here. 25-year-old. <laughs> then he decides, because of that, he says, he says he's reading a Bible because we have to meet out in the desert because that's where they, we just drive a van out in the desert and they all come out of the night and sit in a circle and we do a Bible study together. And then when it's over, they just go back into the desert. <laughs> and so he comes one night and he's saying, I'm having a dream about a verse in, the, in Jeel, but I don't know what it is. We look it up. It's the verse, don't hide your light under a bushel. Hold it up for the whole family to see. So he goes, oh, I know what that means. I need to get my whole tribe together and give my testimony. We're like, this is, this is the guy, this is the second time he's been in jail. He's, and we're like, okay, wow, hmm, uh, okay. And so he goes to his uncle and says, I need the whole tribe together so I can talk about how I've come to faith in Jesus as a Muslim. And his uncle's like, yeah, I'll do it, but they're going to kill you. And he's like, really? <laughs> Don't you? Uh, see, it's not like he's brave. He's just without fear. He's like, well, that wouldn't be that bad. So he tells he 400, 400 men come out and he gives his testimony and two days afterwards they drag him out in the desert and they shoot him to castrate him. They shoot him between the legs and throw him off a cliff to die. And he's like, dang it, I lived again through it. And so he recovers. He's, they, the doctor said, you'll never walk again and you'll never have kids. He walks and he can have kids. And so he goes back to his uncle, let's do it again. He tells us, I need to do it again. Apparently, they didn't understand what I meant because they took it the wrong way. I'm like, no, I think they did get it. <laughs> I mean, me and the other guy that really, the other American that really decided them, we're embarrassed. We want to tell him not to do it. Like, we're like, what are you, nuts? Don't take it that seriously. That's how we feel. Do you know why? Because we don't believe it like he believes it. That's the truth. That's where the Lord was challenging us. He does it again. He gets them all together. The guys that shot him are right in the front row. He goes, apparently you didn't get it. I forgive you. Just so you know, these are the guys that shot me. He says to the rest, these are the guys that shot me. I forgive them. It's okay. And here I am. I'm fine. And then he tells the whole thing again. Two days later, the same guys come and get him, stab him multiple times, throw him off a cliff in the middle of the desert so he'll bleed out. He doesn't die again because a Jordanian patrol finds him doing night maneuvers. And they pick him up and they're like, what happened to you? Yeah, my cousin stabbed me. Why? Well, let me tell you why. Because I met Jesus and they're driving him back into their country. And they're like these Muslim soldiers. And they're like, you did this twice? Yes. They're like, what is, who is Jesus that you're talking about? So, he, so the, the soldiers are so moved by his courage, they go back into the country and find the cousins and take vengeance yeah, they didn't expect that to come. That's what the Lord says. Let me handle the vengeance part. 
You just forgive. And those Jordanian soldiers made those guys pay for what they did to this kid. And they became followers of Christ themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's because this kid knows his identity. And he knows he's invincible in his identity alone. Not doing this everywhere, just in the places that God asks him to do it. Just in those places. So when the enemy comes and the enemy, the enemy says, you're just going to be a fixer of cars the rest of your life. We reject that in the name of Jesus. We separate that out. Nope. Nope. God, how do you define the word fixer? I want your definition of the word fixer, not the enemy. Not the enemy's definition, yours. And when he hears the definition from God, it's massively big and beautiful. Right? So here's who's defining the words in your life for you. When God calls you something, don't go to the enemy and ask the enemy what that means. Because you'll hate it. And you'll reject the thing that God is trying to offer you by letting the enemy be the interpreter of what God says. Be careful in this. All right? Okay. If you don't hear at all, two reasons, usually two reasons why you don't hear. The whole goal of this is so that you guys can do this with other people, by the way. Once you get confident in this, you will do this with people, and the people won't even know what's happening to them. Because it's not a, you don't have to light candles. It's not a seance. It's just you talking to people. And you'll do it to them, and they'll be like, what's happening? What's happening? You know, like, what are you doing? Like, I don't know. I'm just asking you a question. <laughs> and they'll open their spirit up, and God will start to communicate with them, and you'll protect them with your faith. You'll guard them with your faith, faith while this is going on to keep the enemy out of the conversation. When you start doing that, you watch how many men come into this room. Muslims come into this room. Anyone will come into the room if that's possible. To hear God like that and to know my identity from him, I'll do that. I'll try that. Why not? It can't be worse than what I'm doing, can it? Like that. Two reasons why people don't hear, and then uh, I will come back to this maybe at the end. Two reasons. Reason number one, forgiveness. Forgiveness, the issue of forgiveness. If, if you do not, if there's any place in your life where you are unable or unwilling to receive God's forgiveness, he will not talk to you about anything else. He, number one, wants you to know and live in his forgiveness. He will, because if you feel unforgiven, you'll never be able to do anything else. So if, Lord, I can't, I can't hear you, what, 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 why when I talk to you, what do you want me to know? I can't hear you. It'll be the issue of forgiveness. You don't feel forgiven. Where's a place in my life I don't feel forgiven, Lord? And let him tell you, and then let him release you there. That's one. The second part of that is, and more common, the refusal to forgive another person. If you come to the Lord and wanna talk to him, but you refuse to release another person in forgiveness, he's not gonna talk to you about anything else except releasing those people in forgiveness. It's like, don't come to my table if you're mad at somebody else. Like, don't do that. I forgave you, you forgive them. So that's, I hit that more than anything. It's like, is there someone that you're mad at? Are you mad at someone? Because God's not going to talk about anything else except that issue. Because your 
Unforgiveness locks you into the other person that you're mad at forever. And you will die in that bondage with that person. Abuse victims, rape victims, this is critical. This is critical. It's interesting, we, we had this, we train police officers in this stuff so that victims, that, that when they're dealing with victims, they can release the victims in forgiveness. So the victims know what to do, and you can do this in a very professional way, but it pr- protects the victim from years of inner turmoil. Because the police officer on the scene is teaching them how to cut the person off in forgiveness. Can you imagine that, policing like that? So we had this one police officer that we deal with disciplinary problems in police departments. So we had this one police officer, over-aggressive, you know, all this stuff, because he's afraid, basically. Take him out, we deal with his fear, put him back in. Here's how, this how traffic stops before. It's like, what are you doing? Where, you know, this kind of, you're going like this kind of thing. And here's how he stops people now. Ma'am, are you okay? Are you okay? Because you're driving 80 in a 55 zone. Are you okay? Like, are you anxious about anything? What's, are, what, are, what are you most afraid of in your life that causes you to drive like this? And she's like, what? Like, because no, you're going to hurt yourself and somebody else driving like this. So what's inside of you that's causing you to drive like this? Are you anxious? What are you anxious about? What's the matter? And then you should hear what people say. You know what they do? They confess. They're like, well, you know, I, you know me and my boyfriend, really? Really? And, and, and his job is to serve and protect her. That's what you do, isn't it? And so what do you stop writing tickets? Oh, no. There's people that don't want to be served and protected. They get the ticket. Like, I ain't telling you anything about myself. Get out of my face. Okay. There you go. But people that want to be served and protected, serve and protect them. Like this, you can do inner healing, we call it, all day long in whatever you're doing. Forgiveness, unforgiveness, number one. Number, number two issue, anger. Anger, anger, anger. If you're mad at somebody, anger has to come off before God will talk. You can't hear God through anger. So it's attached to unforgiveness. Anger and unforgiveness. Okay, so those are the two big blocks. If I'm praying with somebody, it's like nothing, nothing. I can't hear any nothing, anything. Okay, is there any place in your life you feel unforgiven by God? Is there any place in your life where you refuse to forgive another person? Are you mad at someone? Are you angry at someone? And then there you go. Dad, mom, whatever. Then it comes up. And the Lord just wants to free them of that. Once they're free of that, they can hear. Oh my gosh, I can hear. Like this. Does that make sense? That's all. And you run into it all the time. It's normal. It's, it's common. It's not magic. It's just these things in the Bible is all about it. All about these things. So if I can do that with an angry person here, I can do it with an angry person in an Arab country. I can do it with a room full of angry people. And this produces peace. This ends conflict. Let's say one more. No, let's stop right now. Okay. We're done. We done?